Hello and welcome to Farm One. I'm sitting here in our Tribeca location and I have an amazing guest with me today. Her name is Mabel Nash Greenberg and she's the founder of Fruling, which is a surprise that we're offering to our members this week. And Fruling is this really premium uh, Michelin star level trail mix and it includes a bunch of great ingredients that she's going to tell us all about. Uh, we've been walking through the farm, we've been talking about trail mix, farm one products, lion's mane mushrooms, videos, um, all kinds of creative stuff. So I'm really excited to, to talk to Mabel today. Welcome to the farm, Mabel. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Rob. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I've actually been here once before, as you know, um, shooting a film about you guys because um, what you're doing here is so cool and so inspiring. So I'm thrilled to be back and super excited to be on the podcast. Great. It's great to have you. And, you know, we sort of, I remember a couple of years ago, yeah, you came in and shot a beautiful film about Farm One. And, and obviously the company sort of changed and evolved a little bit since then. Um, but it's great to have you back on the farm. And we've just been sort of walking through uh, and tasting a few things. Was there anything in particular that caught your attention when you were tasting things on the farm just now? Yes. Well, in particular, that basil that had the vanilla flavor. What was it called again? It's blue spice basil. Yeah. Blue spice basil. I had never tried anything like that before, and it was divine. It was so delicious. Yeah. Yeah, it's got such a cool aroma, hasn't it? It's kind of sweet and spicy, and it's got... I get berries and vanilla and little bubble gum in that as well. Uh, it's so yeah. cool. Yeah, it's yeah. That, yeah, it really had that nice vanilla flavor that I could see being used in like lots of nice, like sweet applications of basil. Yeah, delicious. absolutely. But everything was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. You got to make that uh, make that clear. And so let's get right into it. So um, so you have this product. It's called Fruling. Uh, tell us a little bit of the background of how you got started with that product, why you chose to do a trail mix and how you choose your ingredients and, and what is that experience of, of eating Fruling? What's it all like? Well, Fruling is a, like you said, Fruling is a premium trail mix made with Michelin quality superfood ingredients. And I first came up with the idea in 2016 when I was living in Berlin. I was uh, working remotely as a video editor and doing a lot of work in cafes. Um, um, and thinking a lot about my health at that point in time, because I was just really reflecting on my life. I was in a very like uh, introspective period of, of my life. And um, I was thinking about like, what are the best ways that I can contribute to the, this world and use my natural interests and skills um, to create something that I truly love and that is a joy to share with the world. And so just so happened like, when I was working in, um, in the cafes, I was really interested in like anti-inflammatory eating because I had hit a period in New York where I was like super stressed and overworked and um, I had a psoriasis flare up. And so I was just doing a lot of research about how to eat um, so in a way that would just like support uh, sustainable long-term health for my body, mind and spirit. And so I was really interested in anti-inflammatory eating and um, there just weren't any options in the cafes where I was working. So, and I wanted something that was like a treat that didn't feel like a diet food um, that was like luxurious tasting, but didn't have any ingredients that would add to inflammation in my body. So I didn't want like added sugar and any like chemical additives or anything. And, and so I just was looking around, like I was also spending a lot of time in um, like outdoor markets and the organic markets in Berlin and Paris. And um, I was fascinated by everything they had to offer because the ingredients were so high quality and there were just so many different things that I hadn't seen here in America. Um, so I was like collecting these unique ingredients and just like putting them together at home, just like as a, just kind of like as a fun project for myself, just to create something that I would take with me and like eat with my coffee when I was working in cafes. Um, so yeah, I just kind of started like, tweaking this recipe without thinking of it as a product at all at that point i was really just trying to create something for myself that i really loved because i felt like there was there wasn't really anything that really satisfied what i was looking for that was available in cafes or in the organic shops because i mean like sometimes i would like get one of those like healthy bars but even those were just like filled with a bunch of like sugar sweeteners or like like weird ingredients i'd never heard of 
or else like if they were nut bars, like a lot of times the nuts were like low quality or like expired or rancid. And you could just really taste that they were low quality. So, so yeah, I was, it was when I tried Bronte pistachios that everything kind of shifted because the Bronte pistachios were unlike any pistachio I'd ever tried before. It was like this rich emerald green and each, each pistachio is covered with this like bright fuchsia skin that was just so vibrant in color. And the flavor was just as vibrant when I tasted it. It kind of blew my mind. Um, so yeah, that was kind of where the idea sort of it accelerated a little bit when I tasted the pistachios because I realized that I couldn't add those pistachios to the mix that I was currently eating um, just because they were so, the quality was just like astronomical to me. So I was like... So you found an ingredient that was kind of up here. And so then you realize, okay, yeah. I've got to bring everything up to that same standard. And so so what's in the bag of fruiling totally. then? I know you've carefully even talk about the number of nuts of different types and, and the perfect yeah. kind of mix. So what is that mix? Yeah, so it's each bag of fruiling is two ounces of the highest quality nuts and dried fruits that you can find. No added sugars, nothing else, but it, we have... Um, Sicilian almonds, they're called pizzuta almonds. They're regarded as like the best almonds you can get. And they're so like rich and creamy. And to me, they taste like marzipan because they're just so concentrated in that almond flavor. And then Bronte pistachios. And then we have Livermore walnuts, which are naturally red walnuts that are grown in California. And the Bronte pistachios and the walnuts are both really low yield crops. So this product is, is really like small, it's a small production. Like we, I really don't envision like scaling this to in a to a huge degree because the crops don't won't support that. So each bag is really special in my opinion. Um, we also have golden berries, which are really high in vitamin C um, and super nutritious, and then mulberries, which are really high in vitamins, minerals, and fiber. They're a little sweet, but not too sweet. Um, and also, we have roasted cacao from Belize, and I did a lot of taste tests with like different kinds of cacao, and this one was by far the crowd pleaser. A lot of people tell me that it's their favorite ingredient, um, and it's just roasted cacao beans whole. And then also, we have two Brazil nuts in each bag, so that represents the daily recommended value, amount of, of selenium that you are recommended to have every day. So I put two, two Brazil nuts in each bag, so that everyone can get their selenium when they have a bag of feeling. <laughs> Very cool. And it seems like you've sort of, you know, people use the word curated a lot. You know, we use it even, but like it, it's it's maybe been over, overused, but it sounds like you really do carefully think about the exact quantity that goes in the bag. And, you know, as you were saying with the selenium, like the recommended daily amount and, and that kind of thing. How did that sort of idea of that precision and that very careful uh, curation of the bag kind of come in? Um, well, it was, it kind of evolved over about, I think it was about a year that I was really developing this um, recipe, but I knew that I wanted it to be, I, I wanted it to feel like a generous portion. So I didn't want it to feel like a diet product or something that was in any way like um, restrictive. And so this is two ounces. So it's enough to have as a whole meal and you'll feel totally satisfied but it's also something that you can snack on throughout the day. Um, and I like to have it like in the morning, especially with like my coffee or my matcha. And then sometimes I'll have it for lunch if I'm like on the go and like don't have time for a full sit down meal, but I want something healthy. I also love taking it um, when I travel or yeah, you can also have it like with drinks as a little snack, but, but yeah, the, the proportions did evolve just through tweaking and a lot of sampling. Um, I knew that I wanted it to be sweet, but not too sweet. And I didn't want any added sugar. So I knew there needed to be some berries in there. Um, and I was really inspired by like really high quality pastries that I was seeing in Europe in the time that I was living there. Um, so like Paris, you know, they have those beautiful croissants with like beautiful pistachios or almonds inside. And I wanted to really recreate this like luxurious experience of eating a pastry, but without any of the ingredients that would potentially add to like inflammation in the body. So every ingredient is like, yeah, it supports your health in some way. Yeah, so I mean, is that like a full philosophy that you have and, and, and how do you think about nutrition as a whole? Because it seems like, 
you know, you're putting a lot of thought into what you're eating and what you're creating here. And how does that sort of extend to your, your wider diet? And how did you end up like, uh, thinking through stuff in such a careful way? Because I, you know, if, if we look at the, um, the contrast with the rest of society, I would say is that, you know, nutrition is not something that, um, loads and loads of people think about. And in this country, obviously there's huge problems with kind of, uh, people having too much calories, but not enough actual nutrition. And so how did you end up in this sort of very careful place to do with thinking about nutrition and thinking about health and, and, and thinking about diet overall? It's kind of been like a whole, my whole life journey, I feel like, is like kind of trying to come into balance with how to um, feed myself in a way that feels like really nourishing, not just to my body, but also to my mind and to my spirit. Um, I consider myself like a really spiritual person. So um, the period when I came up with Thrilling, I was doing a lot of, I was really kind of in solitude and I was really doing a lot of introspection and reflecting on the way that different ingredients affected not just my body, but also my mind. Um, because before I, before I went to Berlin, I was in New York and I was like really like hustling. I was, you know, an early career, like artist, creative person, trying to support myself with creative work. And, you know, I love New York City. I was born and raised here, but it's a hard city to live in. It's, it's really expensive. Um, and so I kind of hit a breaking point with just being overworked and um, just kind of like my, my spirit was just a little like fried. And so ironically, like it was when I really removed myself from New York City, the city that I love so much that I really was able to gain some perspective and realize the value that um, food has on not just my body, but also on my spirit, my spirit and my emotional health. And so I was kind of starting to crystallize this idea that health is not just a physical thing. It's also, it's like the whole, every aspect of the self is affected by what you put in your body. And so I was also just like so sick of like all these like diet foods that I, that are so like prevalent in America. And so I really wanted something that felt like a luxurious treat that was also healthy because I just didn't really see any options out there on the market that were like, that had this mentality that you can have this luxurious treat without actually sacrificing anything or um, without feeling a little worse the next day. Um, and really like, I think when you have really high quality ingredients, you don't need to add anything else. Like the ingredients speak for themselves. And it's like, sometimes the best food is the food that's messed with the least. And so I think like, in, in my experience, like, you know, I haven't, I haven't tried that much food around the world. My travels are relatively limited, but, um, but I am really interested in food. And so I, I think some of my favorite cuisines are the ones where it's like the ingredients are just really high quality. And the, all the chef does is just like add a little bit of salt, a little flourish, you know, some, maybe some fire or heat here and there. And like, yeah, let the ingredients speak for themselves. So I think that that is some, that is a philosophy that I try to that I try to bring to my own life. Yeah, that's so cool. And and I think that you know it's great to come across food products like this where that intention is in mind because I think that even you know even some uh, products that maybe start out that way they get turned into something else because people get into the practicalities of like mass production or they try to create something that has a really long shelf life and they end up adding and adding and adding and you end up with something that's not really representing the original intention. And so it's great to see something that's so kind of precise and beautiful. And I've tasted the ingredients as well and they're, they're really fantastic. Like I love everything about like the, the red walnut is just such a striking color, but also it's like a really fresh walnut and it doesn't suffer from, you know, a lot of walnuts that you get are a little bit like old and um, not as beautiful. And, and then those uh, golden berries are really sort of a perfect kind of match to those nutty ingredients in the mix. So we certainly love it. I mean, we wouldn't give it to our members if we didn't, but we, we certainly love it. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, right, because, you know, we're filming you right now and you're sitting in front of a camera, but normally in your life, I think you've been mostly behind the camera. Um, and that's taken you on these kind of creative journeys. And you talked about living in Berlin, for instance, and 
Um, how, how, how did that all start? What's the sort of creative background of Mabel and how did that sort of begin? Is that something that you picked up from a very early age or is something that, that happened later? How did that creative journey kind of emerge for you? Um, well, I was born to a family of like makers and creatives. My mom's an artist, my dad's a builder. Um, so they definitely instilled creativity in me from a young age. Um, and also a little bit, I think growing up in New York, like kind of instilled a bit of a hustle mentality in me because from an early age, I was just like always looking for opportunities to make money. And so that would take on many forms, like creating different things and trying to sell them on the street or doing various kinds of weird performance art in the sidewalk with my sister. Um, but I started making films with my friends in high school. And that was a really fun, uh, fulfilling, creative experience of collaboration. Um, and then I went to college to study religion and uh, philosophy and then um, transitioned to filmmaking because I realized that I didn't want to be an academic. I, I really wanted like tools to express the thoughts and feelings I was having about um, topics like religion and philosophy. Um, so, yeah, so I made I start, basically when I graduated, I just jumped right into freelancing in New York and um, working on sets big and small, basically just like taking any job that I could to try to like, you know, establish myself. And I had a dream of supporting myself with creative work, which which isn't always an easy thing to do in the city. Um, but I was really working on really working hard at it. And um, then, yeah, so um, that's I went to Berlin in 2016. I was freelancing for this one company called Mind Body Green. Um, they're like a health and wellness media company and I was editing their video classes. So I was learning a lot about health and wellness in that period of time just through my work. Um, and that's kind of a little bit of background story for like why I was thinking so much about health and how to lead like a healthy and fulfilling life. Um, and yeah, so I got that, I got a job, I think it was like 2017, I got a job back in America at Culture Trip, which is where I made this film about Farm One and how I was introduced to you guys. Um, and I need to shout out my work wife, Spencer Albin, who was the one who actually originally found you guys and we worked as a team to make that film. Um, but yeah, so I was there for like two years. And at that point, like I, when I got the job at Culture Trip, I kind of put uh, Freeling on the back burner although it was in the back of my head as something that I knew I really wanted to do. And I, it was a dream that kind of was nagging at me a little bit. Um, so like two years later, 2018, I left Culture Trip and decided to really put my attention almost full time into building Freeling. And then it took me about two years to really get it to launch the company, which we just did this past fall in the middle of a global pandemic, which was definitely not what I had anticipated. But um yeah, it's been a, it's been great so far. And I'm currently like still working as a filmmaker, as a director. Um, I have my own little production company called Labam. And then I work as a director with this company, Thursday's Child. Um, but yeah, actually like Fruling and um, my filmmaking work kind of kind of go hand in hand in a weird way, because um, I, I had spent so many years like working as a PA and a lot of that was like creating crafty on sets, like putting snacks together that, to feed the talent and the crew. And people wanted healthy snacks, but but I realized that there really what there were limited options with regards to like what was what was truly healthy. Like even those bars that you know people usually have as a healthy option on set were filled with sugar. And I personally didn't want to eat them. So and I wasn't the only one. So I would actually make my own trail mixes on set sometimes. And then yeah, I was just I think I I didn't realize it at the time, but there was a part of me that was like hmm, there, there's really an opportunity for like a better trail mix out there. That's so funny because there's like, there's like these two overlaps, I think, with your life and, and mine actually, because I was, I started out my career, like this is back in like 2002 or something. And I was a runner for a post-production house in London. And a lot of my job was getting people snacks, you know, so like running over and getting like some very specific bottle of wine that one of the clients wanted or getting like this very specific croissant from like a specific place. And I was really terrible at the job. I didn't I didn't really know how to do it well. And I didn't I just didn't get it. It was one of those things where, you know, you're kind of I, I'm sure it wasn't like this for you. But for me, I was young 
and I'd only been in college and I had never sort of been around real people working and stuff. And so when they wanted something like urgently, I had no, I, I just couldn't really handle the priorities or anything. But yeah, definitely had to get snacks for people. And then, and then also like later on, I ended up in Berlin a lot because I started my own little film festival and that like went over to Berlin. And so we went to the Berlinale and we did that like several years in a row and went to crazy parties in Berlin again and again and again. So I thought it was kind of funny that you ended up in Berlin. Yeah, I mean, Berlin is such a like at the time and I think it's similar now, but like at the time it just felt like it was this very much more casual place and we would hang out in east berlin which was like cooler than west berlin and i don't know if it's still that way but like um yeah it was always going and getting cocktails and staying up until like five in the morning and like meeting random artist people and it just felt like this such a sort of creative existence you know um but yeah it's it's funny that you kind of had some of that yeah, what was your experience in Berlin like? Yeah, um, I love Berlin so much. I mean, when I first arrived there, I like I remember the the car ride from the airport, and I was just in love with the city because it reminded me so much of the New York where I had grown up. And you know, New York has changed a lot since when I was a little kid, and it just the spirit of the city. It just felt so free. It felt like you can you can be whoever you are. No one's gonna bat an eyelid. You can walk. You can dress however you want. No one's gonna judge you. Um, and that's just like how I associate the spirit of New York. Um, but yeah, for me, like I definitely enjoy the party side of Berlin, but it was really like, I felt it was a very peaceful city and it, I love the way that nature is integrated into the city's design. Um, it's just so seamless and it's like, it really allowed me to have this like very peaceful mental space that I was craving so much and I really miss Berlin I can't wait to go back yeah did you speak German and get by that way or a little bit no? ambition bit. ambition but <laughs> I just took I yeah. took some <laughs> did you well yeah exactly enough to like order a beer maybe you know that that's it but I think it was I mean it's one of those countries where you can sort of rest on the fact that everyone else's English is much better than your German and so you kind of get by you know but it is easier in East Berlin than in West Berlin because because going to the did you used to go to the Berlin Berlinale yeah I went one year yeah it was it was so yeah. cool one of the best, yeah, one of the best experiences. It's so fun, right? Because you get to go and just watch like four movies in a day. And these are movies that are going to come out in like a year's time. So you feel really special. And like, it's just such a great, like, I don't know, you get into this mode where it's totally normal to go into a movie theater at 10 a.m. and watch something really serious. And then an hour later, watch something that's like completely crazy and maybe terrible and, and like go through this whole sort of day like that and then just eat and watch movies. I don't know. It's great. Uh, but <laughs> And there were like all these crazy performance art things happening around the films as well. I remember that were just so exciting to me. Yeah, I love I love Berlin now. I can't wait to go back once this whole COVID thing has passes. Yeah, that'd be so cool. So so tell me a bit more about your filmmaking then. So like because I've seen obviously a bunch of your things that you did for Culture Trip and some other things like there was a film about a Brooklyn um, candy maker who makes these crystals and... Yeah, sweet slava. I had this dream that if I took all of the things that were super important to me, like all of my favorite objects, and I buried them in the ground, that if I woke up and dug them from the ground, that they had turned into candy. And so this whole project started out as kind of a dream. We did another one on a grocery store in Brooklyn. Yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like how you sort of chose those topics and how you go about like putting together a creative story to do with food and, and to do with New York City. Okay, yeah. Um, well, my job at Culture Trip was I was a video commissioner um, and I also would produce these films. A lot of them were produced remotely. So my job was to like find stories that um, spoke to certain areas and regions of uh, the Americas that would inspire people to travel there. but. I did, a, I did a lot of thinking and I realized that rather than creating films that were specifically targeted for tourists, it would be a lot more meaningful to make stories that were, um, that really spoke to the locals. And so that was something that I took really seriously in that role. Um, and, you know, 
I was living in Berlin or not, sorry, I was living in Brooklyn for a couple years and Mr. Kiwi was just, uh, it was really a community hub and it was, you know, they offer produce and food and vegetables for way cheaper than most grocery stores do. And so they really serve the community in, a, in such a meaningful way. Um, they help the community stay, um, stay healthy for an affordable price, which is not something that you find on every street corner in New York City. Um, and so that was, it was such a cool opportunity to uh, make a film with them because they meant so much to me personally, that that family that's behind the business. Um, and it, yeah, I one thing I love about filmmaking is that it's just the, the process of working with people and getting to know, not like your crews, you get to know very well, but also getting to know the subjects. Um, it's such a, I, I feel like so grateful that I get to do that for work because um, yeah, it's just so cool to like meet, meet people who are doing awesome things, whose work really truly inspires you. And the Mr. Kiwi people were, um, were a really great example of that. Mayan Zilberman is the candy artist behind Sweet Saba. She's the subject of one of my, one of my other films that I worked at on at Culture Trip. Um, she was super cool to work with, just like such a creative visionary person. Um, and then there was another film that I loved to make that was in, um, actually we did two in Austin. One of them was about this really special barbecue place called Sam's Barbecue, which is also a community center. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, I love, I love to do films about places that really mean something to a community, like kind of a community hub. So that kind of became something that I, that's kind of become a pattern in my filmmaking activities. And it, it's just cool to like kind of in, be in, embedded in the, the communities and be embraced. It's, it's so awesome. Like barbecue is like a community event, whether your community is small, just your family or just your family and friends, or if it's a restaurant like Sam's. It's almost like a church in a way. You know, food is your way to connect and you have conversations and the photos kind of say it all. I think. Yeah, I love that barbecue one. And I felt like the, I, you know, there was a part of that story which was around like gentrification and about the fact that there's, you know, maybe pressure on some of these places to kind of sell up and move, you know, further out or um, move, you know, move from a place that they've occupied for, for decades, you know. And I think that I think there must be stories like that all around the country as well. And I, I don't know what you think about how like the food landscape is kind of gradually changing with gentrification. Certainly with New York City, you can see that happening all the time where like a local spot, you know, disappears and something new comes in. How do you kind of feel about that and that trend and, and how we relate to food in this city? Because it's such a sort of, I don't know, it's such a sort of difficult situation where you have like relatively wealthy people who want to kind of experience the food of the city, but they don't necessarily appreciate that gentrification is kind of changing how that is like how do you feel about that whole that whole picture oh man yeah that's um it's i wish that i was feeling a little bit more optimistic about um the fact that you know not everybody has access to healthy food and they really should i mean i feel like nutrition is is extremely important for supporting people's not just people's physical health um, but also people's mental health and our communities need healthy food and they need healthy food and afford, at an affordable price. Um, and so it's in Manhattan, it's been kind of a little unfortunate to see like these smaller grocery stores going out of business as, um, yeah, as gentrification happens and like the prices just go up. But in Brooklyn, I've seen a, like I have a lot of hope about the Kokopi company, the that runs Mr. Kiwi, Mr. Pina, Mr. Coco. It's all one, um, it's all under one umbrella. They call Kokopi. And there's, so I think there, I have a lot of hope there. And I, and it, even places like Farm One give me a lot of hope because it just reminds us that um, beautiful, healthy ingredients are available even in a big city like New York City. Yeah, you know, I have, I have that mixture of hope and, you know, concern as well. And I'm obviously like an outsider as well. I didn't grow up in New York City. I'm a visitor, you know, so I hope that the contribution we're making is, is somewhat positive. But I also, I'm, you know, inspired by uh, the folks that you talked about and inspired by these folks who've been here for 
a long time and created things that have really lasting value. I don't know if there's anything that you would want to share about things that you might have learned or principles that you've learned from some of those folks that you featured in your films. Like, are there some sort of enduring, you know, bits of wisdom that uh, you've picked up from the barbecue guy or Mr. Kiwi and, and those folks that that you think other businesses could learn from? Two things that come to mind are both uh, Sam's Barbecue and the Kakofi are both family-run businesses. And so I think that that's a really special thing. It's really cool to see family members working together and, you know, a, a business as like this beautiful um, project that, a fam that can bring a family together and also extend that idea of family past just the nuclear family into a, a greater community. Um, both the Kokopi family and the Sam's Barbecue family, they really are the heart of a community. And you can just tell that, I mean, obviously they care about what they're like, the things they're doing, like the food they're selling, but it's, it, you can really tell that what they're doing is for the people and it's, and the people receive that. And it's this great like relationship that they, both of those businesses have built with their communities that I think is so special and um, it's really heartwarming to actually be there in person and, and to see these people, to see how they interact and how much um, gratitude comes from both sides, both the customers and the business owners. Good morning, Good morning Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Good morning, Hi, we're in Mr. Kiwi's in Bushwick. It's the best place to go for fresh produce, for juice, and mainly to get a really good deal and feel like you're part of a local grocery store and not just a chain. There's something about it that reminds me a little bit of being in Japan. And I lived in Japan for several years. And one of the things was that you do find a lot of family businesses there that last a long time. You know, they last like centuries even sometimes, you know, and they kind of create this yeah, they create this like very close sort of connection to the neighborhood and the city. And it's sort of they become like an institution, not by focusing on the very short term, but by focusing on things that are going to be, you know, very long term benefits to everybody, you know, good relationships, like enduring quality, like not changing how they do things all the time, but like having a lot of consistency. And so yeah, I can't, re I can't remember exactly how old it is, but one of these businesses is like 800 years old or something. It's like the longest running business ever in, oh, in uh, Talk about legacy. Times. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. You know, I think sometimes it has a, there's a negative side to it as well, which is that they tend to be very conservative. And so like, it, it's like the eldest son has to take over. And so, you know, there's not a lot of freedom for the family and stuff, but, but there's like, there's nice things in there um, as well. And so I guess I'm, I'm curious, is this, is this something, how do you sort of capture these people's sort of essence when you, when you go and approach them and you make a film, like, how do you, how do you get that story out of someone? How do you get them to kind of reveal things and get to be comfortable with you in a way that's gonna really get across those sort of key things about their business and key things about their personality? How do you do that? Well, I do a lot of research before I ever reach out to anyone. Um, and I think that, you know, before I would ever reach out to anyone, I have a pretty clear idea of why that place is so special and why I would be so happy to shoot with them and make a film with them. So. I think I always I always try to approach any potential subject from a place of knowledge as much as I am able to gain from you know digging online or whatever, um, and then also um, just really like a sense of gratitude and appreciation for what they're doing um, because that's I mean that's why I want to make a film with them is because they're doing something really special. So I just try to communicate that sense of appreciation and um, authenticity. Like it's always coming from a from an authentic place. So I think that um, the people who who receive that well, like it ends up, it, it always comes across on screen. If you are able to build really like meaningful connections with the subjects, um, then it becomes this dance from front, in front of and behind the camera. Usually I'm the other side, but um, yeah. yeah, it's, I think when you're really able to connect with somebody, then it, that natural quality comes across um, and you're able to ask questions that that inspire them to, to tell the story like, you know, as it is for them. Yeah, I'm feeling very self-conscious now because we're literally no. <laughs> talking over Zoom and 
<laughs> we have to be in a different room and there's like this audio lag and then sometimes the video is not working and you know like that whole that whole thing of being able to interview people in person or even just have a regular conversation without a mask is like i don't know it's so it's such a dream now the idea that you can do that i don't know how how is your sort of filmmaking work being able to continue during covid and have you had to come up with sort of creative ways to do things that, that that work? Yeah, actually, I just I just got back from Hawaii. I was shooting a little documentary campaign um, about kava, which is an, a root that's originally from the Pacific Islands, but it is a really oh, I'm so I'm so curious about it. Yeah, do you know about kava? Yeah, but I've never had it, and I've like I've I've wanted to go try some so many times, and I just. I don't know. I you never should. got around to it, but I'm so curious about it because it, it, it well, tell us what are the effects and, and yeah, tell us all about it. I'll stop interrupting. Oh, no, it, it's I'm kind of obsessed with it right now, actually. Um, but yeah, it's this root that is um, really closely tied to the Native Hawaiian um, identity. It's it came over. It has a lot of deep cultural meaning to Hawaiian people, um, but it has relaxant properties. It's anticonvulsant. It's a muscle relaxant. It uh, it helps with like uh, social anxiety and anxiety in general. It's very relaxing. Um, it also helps with pain relieving. So um, there were like certain varieties that were used by um, uh, that were given to children for their teeth toothache. So it's kind of consumed. It's consumed in different ways. It's consumed in a, a ceremonial ways. It's also consumed in more casual ways, just like at kava bars in Hawaii. Um, but it's yeah, it's a really special herb. And one thing that I've really taken from that whole experience is, well, I have been taking like consuming kava like every day since I've been back. Um, but it's really helped me like in it's added a lot of value to like my meditation practice and my yoga practice because it just kind of gives you this like peace. Like, I don't know, it, it gives you this nice peace that doesn't um, give you any kind of hangover. There's no negative side effects. So it's just like a really nice medicine that comes from the, the earth and how do you prepare it then um well the people of hawaii it's it's um they they consume it as a beverage but it's a root it, yeah like i said it's a root um so there's a very in-depth uh preparation process but they first uh clean the root very thoroughly because it has lots of like lateral roots that are really thin so um so the cleaning process is really intensive and then they chop it up, grind it up, and if you're lucky, you can get fresh frozen kava. Um, and but there, you can also buy like tinctures and stuff, and like different kinds of um, like extracts. But there, but I wouldn't recommend consuming the extracts because there was a lot. Of, there was controversy about the efficacy and potential liver damage of, of kava when it's prepared as an extract. But when it's prepared in a traditional way, which is like. Um, it's like basically like root water. It's not actually soluble in water, but um, yeah, the root, the basically like the grinded up kava is mixed with the water and then it's like, you know, you, you kind of shake it up there. They use this like cup, they call it an apu. They like mix it around. So you have to kind of continually mix it uh, so that you can keep redistributing the kava through the water and then you drink it. Um, some people say it tastes bad. I actually think it tastes good, but um, people drink it quickly and then you feel the effects within minutes. Wow, yeah, I'm really curious to try it. And and so you're sort of, you're drinking it like every day now at this point? Is that, when do you normally uh, drink it? And and what what do you want the result to be? And how long does it last as well? I'm curious. Um, I think it lasts like a few hours probably, but it's like, it's very subtle. I mean, it's, it's not like you taper off of it and you're like, fiending for more kava, but um, I like to take it in the evenings. <laughs> I like to take it in the evenings kind of like when I, when it's kind of sort of, I, I kind of stopped drinking as much alcohol and I started to sort of like replace it a little bit with kava. Not that I'm like, don't drink any alcohol, but it's, it's does a similar thing. It, it relaxes you. And so it's nice in the evenings. I like to take it before I do yoga. Um, and I actually took some before this interview because I was a little nervous. 
Oh, good. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I'm uh, no, I'm really curious about it. I really want to try. It. I remember there, there's, there was like a bar in Brooklyn that you could drink kava at. Am I right there in saying that? Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few in New York. There's one new one I think in Williamsburg that I want to try. Um, mm. Yeah, there's a few. I would highly recommend trying it. Yeah, and 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 obviously like legally it's it's a totally non-controlled substance right it's like something freely available yeah yeah it is there's no restrictions on it as far as i'm aware um yeah okay it's something that i'm i'd like to um maybe even look at offering to our members or looking to do some kind of event around it one day um there's things like that you know we've also before we started recording obviously we were talking about mushrooms as well and lion's mane um and that's another sort of uh i guess how would you define that a slightly mind-altering substance but not too much that that you use tell us a little bit about how you got into medicinal mushrooms yeah well i am a little obsessed with mushrooms like my friends gotta make fun of me because they sometimes they'll call me like a mushroom girl but um i'm obsessed with lion's mane mushroom and i consume it every single day in uh, my morning matcha um, and I started when I was working at Mind Body Green back in like 2015. I, my mom actually got me turned on to mushrooms initially. She took me to a lecture by Paul Stamets, and I was like very cynical going into it. I was just like, "What is this? Like mushrooms? Like oh yeah, who cares about mushrooms?" And then well, he's the classic guy. Yeah, and this he blew me away. Like it totally like shifted everything for me. And I was just like, "Yeah, I was like mushrooms are the future. They're gonna solve so many problems. They can." you know, mitigate like toxic waste. Um, they can eat, literally digest plastic so that it's no longer toxic to the environment. Um, there's so many different applications of mushrooms being used right now to help support our planet that I just find so inspiring. Um, so I'm a huge, I'm a huge proponent of mushrooms. And um, so basically like when my mom took me to that lecture by Paul Stamets, I just started talking everyone's ear off about mushrooms and then one of the health editors asked me to write an article about um, about d- to do a mushroom experiment where I consume mushrooms every day for 30 days and oh, then write cool. an article about it. And so I did. Yeah. So I did that. And that honestly changed everything for me. Like I've been taking lion's mane mushroom every single day since then. And it's been like four or five years. And I just I love it so much. Like I feel like it really helps my brain stay sharp. It helps my reflexes. Um, it helps me like with nerve, like kind of just like keep an even keel because it's really good for your nervous system. Um, and yeah, just it's like great for your memory. So I I just feel like such a, I don't know, kind of like this unexplainable connection to, to lion's mane mushroom. I've also been growing it at home um, and cooking it. So yeah, it's very special. I also love reishi and chaga and cordyceps. You Did you buy a grow kit from Small Hall? Yeah. Is that right for your lion's Yeah, game? I've gotten a couple from Small yeah. How is How's that experience? So, how does that How does that work? Because I know that they sell them, and, and but I've never bought one or anything. How does it work to go through that process? It's so cool. Um, you basically get this, like, it's like, they call it a substrate. It's like the material that the mycelium grows on. And mycelium is like the root system of the mushroom. Um, and so you get this like piece of like uh, sawdust. It's basically like condensed sawdust and it's in a plastic bag. And then you tie like a ponytail on top of the bag with like a, a hair tie or something. And then you cut these two big X's on either side. Um, so it exposes the substrate, which is, um, which has the mushroom, like baby little mushrooms inside of it. Oh, the growing. spores, right? And then you, yeah, yeah the spores, yeah. And then you um, mist it like a couple times a day and then it just grows magically and it's really cool. It takes a couple of weeks to grow. Um, but then you can, it makes this like giant abundance of lion's mane mushroom, which is just so cool. And I became, this past winter, I became obsessed with cooking. Um, I made this like, it, I was inspired by like lobster mac and cheese, but I, because they say that like when you cook lion's mane mushroom, it tastes like lobster. So I would, I got really into making like li- uh, lobster mac and cheese, but like instead of lobster using lion's mane mushroom. And it was honestly so good. Like it was one of the best things I've ever made. Wow, okay. I think, I feel like we got to do some filming with you preparing some mushroom dishes because um, I mean, I'm happy to say by the time this airs, this interview, we're going to be selling mushrooms uh, from Smallhold 
uh, at Farm One. So our members are going to be able to subscribe to a fancy mushroom pack, which has either lion's mane or maitake or blue oyster. Um, what was the other one? Royal trumpet mushrooms as well. And they're going to be harvested like that day and like super fresh. And I'm also a massive mushroom fan as well. And actually, like, it was Paul Stamets. I think he's the, the evangelist for mushrooms for the globe, pretty much. Because I remember listening to a podcast episode with him. Um, and also, uh, one of the, the, guy, the guy who founded Four Sigmatic also came to the farm and visited. And we were chatting through everything on the farm. And he was talking about his mushrooms as well. And I, um, I take cordyceps and lion's mane every day. And I like the cordyceps because I feel like, I mean, a lot of this is sort of this sort of slight feeling. Obviously, it's not like this, like, bam, in your face kind of thing. But with the cordyceps, I feel like my athletic recovery is quicker and, like, muscle pains and things go away faster with the cordyceps. And I think it gives me a bit of energy as well. But the lion's mane, I agree. I think it has a bigger effect in that my brain just feels more sharp and it makes me feel more... Um, I don't, in general, it just makes me feel more intelligent. And I don't know if it's actually true or if it's just uh, me feeling that way, but that's fine. I'll take it. I, I just feel like, oh, okay, I'm actually able to concentrate and focus more. And I'm able to sort of get tasks done in a much more kind of predictable and uh, efficient way. And that's, I don't know, it's such a big deal for me. So yeah, I feel like I've been taking it maybe for three or four years, I guess. I've certainly paid a lot of money for these mushrooms over time because they're not cheap, but I feel like it's definitely better than buying a cup of coffee or something for me. Yeah, for sure. I remember the first time I took lion's mane mushroom, um, I didn't have like high expectations for it, but I was working I was working as a video editor at My Body Green. And I just remember like I drank my coffee with lion's mane from Four Sigmatic first thing in the morning. And I like didn't even think to look up until like 5 p.m. And I was just like totally in this flow state like all day. And I was just kind of blown away by that because I mean, how often are you able to achieve that? I mean, I take mushrooms every day so that I can achieve it on a daily basis, but it's something so special, I think. Yeah, I agree. I sort of, it's funny because I rewatched the movie Limitless the other day, which is not a high quality movie. Have you seen this movie? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't think so. No. Oh, Wait, what is it's it? Got, it's I'm embarrassed got, now. <laughs> uh, is it Bradley Cooper in it? And he comes across, he's sort of this like deadbeat wannabe author uh, who hasn't written more than three pages of his novel. And he comes across a pill that sort of unlocks the supposed like extra 80% of your brain. And so a day after taking the pill, he's fin he's finished his novel. He's like, his whole apartment is redone, but it's obviously got this sort of negative qualities as well This sort of speed, like, you know, hustle attention, you know, like just can't get out of it kind of thing. It's a silly movie, but the beginning of it is kind of cool. Cause it's like, for me, it's sort of the drug you always wished existed, which is like this thing that gives you kind of perfect concentration and ability and you know stamina all in one go um but yeah like lion's mane uh does not have that dramatic effect but definitely i think for me and for others it seems like for you it has a, a really good concentration effect and and makes you feel yeah really focused in a nice way you know yeah it, it does kind of have i mean yeah it's not like i'm sure it doesn't feel like the way that that limitless pill feels for bradley cooper but for me, I have it in my matcha every morning. Um, I make like a little lion's mane uh, matcha latte with oat milk, um, which I'm excited to try your oat milk when you are offering that. Um, but yeah, to me, like that is like all I need. I, it's like my favorite part of the day um, is when I get to have my lion's mane matcha with some fruiling and I'm set for the day. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about routines like that because I definitely during COVID, I've established a lot more of a routine like my routine in the morning is the cordyceps and lion's mane mixed into one like tea and then i do i do this thing called morning pages have you ever heard of this oh cool yeah yeah definitely yeah. that's awesome yeah yeah so i do that which is like this 20 minute process where you write down like everything that's on your mind i do it because i was doing it in books but i was going through books like crazy and I just felt like oh this is completely unsustainable I'm going through like one forest every three weeks or so so now I do it on the iPad but it means I can kind of go back 
and look at like a year ago or something, which is kind of fun. You sort of have you, I don't know if you've ever done that, but like with the morning pages, it's this sort of stream of consciousness thing. And when you look, you're not really supposed to look back at it. It's the point isn't for like note taking so much. But if you look back at about a year ago or further, it is kind of interesting because a lot of the things that you were worried about or that were on your mind are these really trivial, you know, ephemeral things that you've almost completely forgotten about now. And so it's quite cathartic to kind of see how how trivial the things are. But I have that morning routine where I'm sipping the mushroom coffee and I do the morning pages and then I do meditation. Um, and I kind of like to set up that routine the night before. So I set out the mushroom coffee in the mug already and I put like the exactly amount, right amount of water in the kettle uh, so that in the morning, all I have to do is sort of go there and like press the button and then it's it's happening, you know? Do you- Wow. Do you, the, I kind That's of got next into level, that Rob. Because, <laughs> well, I kind of got into it because <laughs> I was listening to an interview with a, actually an Irish, um, filmmaker and he was talking about how uh, he had been going through some depression uh, which luckily enough I haven't really experienced this year or anything but um, one of the things that kind of got him through or made him feel a little bit better on tougher days was making overnight oats and putting the oats doing starting the overnight oats process the night before and then like having this thing to look forward to in the morning that had been you know, sort of gestating through the night. And he felt like that was a really sort of nice thing because you wake up in the morning um, and there's something ready for you that you have given yourself, right? It's a little treat that you've given yourself. And actually, Ina was talking about something a little bit similar where she was talking about how when she was going through some, some slightly tough times, like the idea of having plants there in her apartment that were waiting for her to be watered was something that also got her through and gave her a little bit of energy and, and sort of something to look forward to. I don't know if you think about routines in the same way, but but routines I think can be really, really powerful, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been, I've been tweaking my routine for a while, but I'm still working on it for sure. I mean, the lion's mane is a non-negotiable. Um, sorry, one second, just got a call. Um, the lion's mane is a non-negotiable for me, um, my matcha in the morning, but, um, yeah, and I usually do some variation of like morning pages too, or like meditation and yoga. Um, but to be honest, like I struggle with like getting my exercise in like first thing in the morning because I always seem to get sucked up by work like first thing. So that's what I'm working on right now is like really incorporating the exercise element like first thing, like right when I'm done with my matcha before I actually sit down on my computer because the lion's mane just, you know, sucks your attention. The next thing you know, it's like yeah. end of the day. And yeah, so. <laughs> I'm still tweaking my routine, but I think routine is no, so important. I know what you mean. I, I do this thing now, which is that I put the exercise mat out, like I roll it out the night before and I'm doing a bunch of kettlebell stuff now, which not everyone is into, but like I put the kettlebell like there, you know, and that's actually right in front of my computer. So I can't even really get to my <laughs> computer unless I've done it, you know, yeah. so it's like a forcing mechanism. I love yeah. that. You create an obstacle course of your priorities in the morning and <laughs> you just have to go through them. You have no choice. <laughs> well, you know what? It works. It like I've been doing it that way for eight weeks nonstop and it's working. So I'm pretty happy with that routine. Yeah. I mean, I don't it's so I don't know how you feel about it, but like with as COVID sort of hopefully disappears later this year, I'm really wondering about how my routines are going to stay and I'm I'm a little bit I think uh, maybe quite a few people I'm a little bit nervous about having all these other commitments that always pop up in real life you know like you have to go to an event or you have to you know go out to it's not have to but you're going to go out to dinner you're going to go out and see friends and like yeah how do you feel about that yeah I share that with you to be honest like and I've been hearing a lot of other people say the same thing about how they're kind of attached to the solitude that they've developed over quarantine um, and I know that's definitely true for me I feel like I've been very productive throughout quarantine um, which I'm really like feel very grateful for um, but yeah I I kind of love the alone time to be honest so there's a part of me that's like oh no I don't want to have obligations again outside of my home but at the same time, like, I can't wait to party with my friends and, like, go to an art opening and, you know, enjoy, like, cultural events. Like, I have really missed those. And also just dinner with friends. Oh, dinner with friends. That would be amazing. And 
yeah, going to see like a ballet or something or going to see, you know, a concert. Oh my God. It just seems like such a forbidden pleasure now, you know? I know. <laughs> I guess. It's so funny, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> something as something as innocent as ballet is suddenly forbidden. I know, right? And it's I mean, that's part of the reason you live in New York City, right? It's so that you can go to all this stuff and, and and that's why it feels so I don't know how you felt, but we had snow recently and it felt like this double punishment because normally a snow day is kind of this excuse a little bit to do nothing and to stay home and that's a special thing. But nowadays it's like, that's not a special thing and going outside is a special thing and now you can't even go outside because it's snowing so bad, you know? So it felt like this double kick in the teeth, you know? One one positive thing that I, I think has come from COVID is the shifting of demographics in the city and this you know, rent, the cost of rent has gone down. So I think that, you know, I'm, I'm excited and hopeful to see that where the city will grow. And hopefully there's like this new creative resurgence of artists moving back to the city. Um, because, you know, as you know, like the, the cost of living here has just skyrocketed over the last like decade or so. And so it's been kind of a difficult place to be a creative person or an artist. And I'm hoping that that COVID will have shifted things in the, in the, in the, in the long term. Um, as well as just the short term and that there's like this new creative resurgence that happens. Yeah, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. I'm really curious to see, because I, I agree, there's some of those trends like like rent drops and people, and also people moving out of the city, you know, people moving in, like a lot of movement. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be, I think, I mean, people always say this now, but it's like, it does feel like there's this sort of creative potential now and this, this desire for people to get out and do stuff like over the next year. And I don't know, I'm, I'm excited to, to be part of it. And we're hoping, you know, as you know, we're, we're hoping to build our new space pretty soon and get that up and running and, and have that be like a place that people can come and do events. And, um, and, you know, because you visited the farm. Yeah. We, we, the, the problem we've always had with the farm is that it's been this very, very small space. And so people can have, an amazing experience in our Troy Becker farm, but it's limited to like, you know, eight people or something. But, uh, but we're building out a much bigger space, which will allow us to to do a lot more. You know, that is so exciting. I have to say, like, just being here right now, it is such a like grounding experience, and just like the air quality of being surrounded by all these plants feels so healthy. Like, I feel like my skin is gonna. It, it feels like it's absorbing all the nutrients from all these beautiful plants that you have growing, and so. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to see your new space. And it, it would be a great place for a party. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's going to happen for sure. Maybe <laughs> with some kava, you know, maybe I'm curious about some yes. like non-alcoholic options as well that can uh, lift people's spirits yes. a little bit. Um, so should we talk a little bit about, uh, I mean, about the future and, and getting back to Fruling, like, you know, where are you hoping to take this? I know that you're not trying to be a multi-billion dollar global conglomerate with, you know, factories in every city of the U.S. But, you know, I'm curious, what are your aspirations for Fruling and, and other projects that you might want to do? Um, well, I'm currently developing a few products that are um, different recipes that have a similar ethos to the current product. Um, they're like, you know, anti-inflammatory, only the best quality ingredients. And I think like, you know, kind of like a luxurious experience for something that you can take on the go. Um, so I'm excited to share those. That's definitely like what I'm focused on right now. Just like putting one foot in front of the other. Um, I definitely don't have any plans for world domination anytime soon, but it would be great to grow Fruling and expand the reach of, um, these products because the process of creating them is so fun for me and and we have a really small team of, of artists in New York it's um me actually my mom helps a lot my dad helps a lot I have a, an assistant Stella who's the best she helps a lot and so it's it's right now it's a really small production but I would love to expand uh, gradually and offer a few more products hopefully this spring or summer probably more likely this summer um, but yeah Stay tuned. You can buy Fruling at our website, which is fruling.co, or uh, it, we're also being sold at Elementary Flaneur, which is an amazing little grocery store in the bottom on the bottom floor of uh, Essex Street Market in the market line. They have like the most beautiful produce aside from Farm One that I have seen in the city and Mr. Kiwi. Um, but they really have some unique 
very, very unique like produce and ingredients that they source um, from, I believe like a lot comes from Italy, but yeah, you can buy Freeling there or at our website. And um, if you are interested to hear about where we're gonna growing from here, you can sign up for our uh, newsletter on the website and also follow us on social media. It's at Freeling.co. Amazing. That's good. That's really, really good. I'm excited to, to offer this to our members. I'm really curious uh, what people think. I personally really love it as a product in terms of its philosophy, but also just how it tastes. It's it's really, really great. And I, I'm, I'm scared now Thank because you. I feel like any other trail mix is just going to seem woefully inferior in comparison. And, uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm worried about that. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's really great. And yeah, it's been awesome chatting to you today, Mabel, and, and discovering you know, you, your films and your background and fruiling and your philosophy around food and mushrooms, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I want to say a big thank you for coming in. Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, let's look thank forward to- Thank you so to... much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah. Let's look forward to the end of COVID and the future and, and the future of fruiling. Sounds great. Thank you, Rob. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.